Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance here. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake, Equi- Douglas Lake Equipment, keeping you at the top of your game. Now found together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Randy Moeller, broadcaster for Valley Sports for the Florida Panthers, going to join us momentarily here. Uh, as a reminder, of course, it is NHL Draft Lottery Night. You'll be able to watch it on Sportsnet TV. We will also carry it live during Canuck Central at 5 o'clock here on 650. So Sat and Reach will have you covered with your instant reaction, whatever happens uh, in the lottery. And uh, it also sounds like uh, not confirmed just yet, but that there might be a Patrick Alvin media availability after the draft lottery, uh, which I'm sure you'll be able to hear as well. So keep it locked on Sportsnet 650 for your draft lottery coverage today. And of course, reaction and fallout tomorrow as well. But now joining us to talk a little bit more about the Florida Panthers, who have the Leafs on the ropes in a big way. As mentioned, he covers the Panthers for Bally Sports. He is a former NHL defenseman as well, Randy Moeller. Randy, thank you very much for doing this. How are you? Hi, guys. Good afternoon. Uh, great to be on with you. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And uh, we were very, very excited to talk a little Florida Panthers because all of a sudden, from from down 3-1 against the Big Bad Bruins, they've rattled off six wins in a row. We're now on the verge of sweeping or at least eliminating the Toronto Maple Leafs. What's happened? What's gotten into the Panthers, Randy? Well, it's kind of, you know, the season that they've had, you, you go back and and the, the trade that they made, the Huberdeau Uyghur trade for Kachuk, and the new coach and Paul Maurice, and new new system, and that, and it, it, it's been an up and down season. And there was a there was a point in the season, January first, New Year's Day, the Panthers lost a home game against the Rangers that put them about, I think it was eight points out of a wild card spot, and things were not looking very good. The injuries of top players in and out of the lineup, and it was a tough year, but, you know, Paul Maurice was very steadfast that, hey, he's starting to see signs that this team is starting to come around and play. What what he kept talking about, and that was the reason he was hired, was playoff-type hockey. Now, just to give a, a brief history, you know, the Panthers last year had scored the most goals, won the President's Trophy, scored the most goals in the last 30 years in the National Hockey League. Uh, got by the Washington Capitals in the first round and then got swept by Tampa Bay when things really started to tighten up and get physical and gritty in the playoffs. And the, the Panthers just, their their game just wasn't uh, for that. And they that was the reason why the changes were made to get more toughness up front with Kachuk. Um, and play a different style that will be more sustainable in the playoffs. And when the Panthers were clawing and scratching to get into the playoff race and going into February and that they were already in their playoffs. This was do or die. They had to win the majority of their games. They went on a streak of 6-1-1. One, and one. Then they started getting their injured players back and the Bennett's and Barkoff that was in and out of the lineup and, and certain players, Ekblad as well. They started getting these players back and you could see that their team was, was coming around 
that would be conducive to play in the playoffs. And they peaked at the right time. And uh, nobody gave them a, a hope in hell to even come close to defeating the Boston Bruins. It took seven games, but I think they were the better team throughout. Sergei Bobrovsky, who was injured, uh, had the sickness. He was injured. Then he got sick again. Um, he, he lost the net to Alex Lyon at the, towards the end of the season. Alex Lyon played extremely well, kept the Panthers alive uh, in that stretch. And then Bob comes back. Sergei Bobrovsky, he is fresh, rested, motivated, focused. And you see now where this team is peaking at the right time. I'm seeing similarities with the Toronto Maple Leafs as what the Panthers went through Mm, last year and what Colorado went through uh, Tampa Bay a number of years ago. That high-flying offense and trading scoring chances, um, run and gun, it looks good and it's pretty to watch and everybody packs their stats during the regular season, but it it just doesn't work in the playoffs when it comes – it's more physical, um, the the, the, the battles in the trenches and that. And I think the Panthers right now, their game is more suited towards playoff hockey than the Toronto Maple Leafs. They just can't seem to figure it out, and they're trying to rely on their stars and the run and gun, and the Panthers just are, are just stifling them defensively, taking away their weapons. And Alexander Barkov, I know sometimes there's whispers of criticism that he's not the superstar that maybe he des- that uh, for his salary that he deserves and that, but he he has completely smothered the top three centermen of the Toronto Maple Leafs in this series, and he did it in the Boston series for the most part as well. Doesn't get the credit for it. Yeah, he doesn't score three or four goals a game, but what uh, Thomas will will tell you what he brings to this team night in and night out. And those details of the battles along the boards and the puck possession and the recapturing of the puck. So you add all that up together, the Panthers right now, they're at the, at the height of their game. They're having fun. They've got a bit of a swagger going right now. They're confident. And if you ask them, they're not surprised where they're at. They feel that they've got a good team and they deserve to be here. And this is not a surprise to them. Moeller, all my inside sources in Florida are saying upgrades to the PR department are powering this Panthers run. True or false? <laughs> we miss you, Drancer. <laughs> no, you don't. You. Hey, uh, Moeller, how much joy are Panthers fans taking from chanting, we want Florida, and scuppering plans in the center of the universe for, for the annual parade? It, it, it's just, it's absolutely amazing, Thomas, how, uh, it, you know, I didn't, I went on uh, XM radio with, uh, mm-hmm. with Gord and, and uh, Scotty this morning. And, you know, Scotty, I mean, I love Scotty and, and, and that, but they're asking me, Randy, the atmosphere down there must be the, the same. And, and it hasn't been that way since 96 um, when they're in the playoffs. And I'm like, sorry to disagree with you, but, you should have been in the building last year for Washington and, and the, the home games against the Capitals and, and against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Over 21,000 people crammed into this building. And, and to hear that 
you know, there's no fans down here or the only fans are from, from somewhere else that cheer for other teams and that it's just, it gets really, it gets really old and frustrating because it's just so far from the truth. And this, and just to clear up and it made headlines everywhere, all across Canada, that the Panthers were going to ban Maple Leaf fans from coming to the game. That's so far from the truth. You can't even imagine what they did was they, uh, when the tickets went on sale for the second round, they extended for the South Florida fans to be able to buy the tickets and advance before they go on sale to the general public as, you know, for everybody in North America and the world. And, and then the next day they went on sale for everybody that could, uh, that wanted to buy tickets. Didn't matter where you were from, but they wanted to make sure that the South Florida fans had the opportunity to purchase the tickets before anybody else that was not from the United States. And that, and that's basically, there was a lot of uh, Toronto Maple Leaf fans. There's a lot of uh, Leaf fans that live down here that are transplants and, and that. And the same thing when the Panthers play the Washington Capitals, the New York Rangers, the Philadelphia, Montreal Canadiens, there's fans down here and that. And I think that's what makes it so much fun at the games and that. But there's, you know, they, they, they were st- selling uh, standing room tickets, standing room only tickets for $120. I think that proves that this is a hockey market. And if the team is competitive and that, it would be supported. And also, guys, I, I want to point out, you talk about uh, this area is, you know, maybe not the biggest uh, hockey uh, sports destination. You got the Heat that are in a playoff uh, battle with the New York Knicks. You've got the Marlins that are playing. Oh yeah, and yesterday afternoon they had the F1 Formula race, uh, only 13 miles from the, the where the Panthers play, that had 270,000 people at that event. Yet a few hours later, there's over 20,000 in the uh, building to watch the Panthers and the Maple Leafs. You love to see it, Randy. Hey, I, I got to ask you this because the Panthers only make the playoffs because Pittsburgh blows it against Chicago. They're down 3-1 to the Bruins and then down in the last minute of Game 7. And yet, this was the team that was second in the East in 2021. They won the President's Trophy last year. I'm not seeing glass slippers. I don't think this is a glass slipper Cinderella team, Randy. Uh, fair or not fair? No, I, I I think I agree with you. They're they're a lot better uh, on paper than maybe the regular season. There was a number of different uh, issues why the Panthers weren't solidifying a playoff spot in February or early March. Um, they just weren't consistent and the injuries and the scheduling and everything that was uh, the adversity that they had to face. And they didn't make any excuses. They just realized, Hey, we're behind the eight ball and, and we have to do it ourselves. And, and the belief in that room and, and, and Paul Maurice with the belief. And that's why, and Bill Zito making no moves, the general manager, no moves at the trading deadline. He come out right after and said, we believe in this group and they can do it. And if we get some breaks and, and our health uh, improves of some of our key players, we have the opportunity in going on a run. And that's exactly what has happened. So I'm not really totally surprised. I don't, and I agree with you. This isn't a Cinderella story. Um, this is a pretty good hockey club. You look at the lineup with Kachuk and Bennett and 
Barkoff and Verhage and Reinhardt and Montour uh, back on the fence. And Ekblad has played as best as he's, he's played all season long. And then you add Bobrovsky, that's won six straight games. Um, they've done it before. They've proven that they can be one of the top teams. And right now they're riding high. How long it lasts, I don't know. But right now they're uh, – and they're not they're, – I, I think they're – They've been pretty humble as well. They, they, they realize where they're at and, and how appreciative they are with the success that they're having. But you talk to those players in the locker room and, and um, you know, they're not popping uh, champagne bottles right now. They know exactly and they know that if they don't play and come out on Wednesday, they, this talented Toronto Maple Leafs, if you give them an opportunity to get off the mat, they're going to get off the mat. And um, it's, it, it's going to be very interesting, that game on how the a the Toronto Maple Leafs react at the start of that game, and how the Panthers react as well, and and then the big question: who's going to be in goal for the Maple Leafs? That was an unfortunate mm. um, injury that uh, Samson off last night. You don't like seeing that, um, and uh, but it's that's a big question mark. What's going to happen on Wednesday? Um, Matthew Kachuk, you know, we all know what he's capable of in terms of production. We all see the style of play that he has out there, and you know how effective it can be in the playoffs especially how much has he changed kind of the identity and the mindset of this Panthers team oh oh a complete 180 I think and he's done it he's done it not by um saying what he's going to do but going out there and and doing it and and uh, let me just add this little little tidbit here um last night Matthew Kachuk uh was held pointless and the Panthers still won so I think that, that, that proves that there's, there's a little bit more depth than maybe the so-called experts give the Panthers. But getting back to Kachuk, he has been everything and more. Um, what a, what a, a, a breath of fresh air he came in and, and the swagger that he plays and how he plays. And it's infectious. And, and, and how, what, the, what he's done and, and rubbed off on players like Lois Duran and, and Lundell and and the confidence of, of, of the, some of these players and Nick Cousins and, and that, that, that want to play the same way that he does, where it's just let's crash and bang and punch and, and claw and slash and drive to the net. And, and uh, that's the way this team is played now. And they've kind of taken on his personality. And they have different leaders. You know, Barkov, uh, Thomas, you were down here. You know the way Barky leads. He's a pretty quiet guy. He leads on the ice. He's not a raw, raw guy. Well, now you've got Kachuk that uh, never shuts up, and he's yapping all the time, and he's vocal in the locker room, on the ice, in practice, and that. So you've got different tiers of leadership on, on this hockey club, and it's, uh, it's worked well together. And I think Paul Maurice, he, he, said it, he said it perfectly in the Boston series after that, I think, game six win where they're asking him, you know, you know, what are some of the adjustments and what were you doing behind the bench? He says, uh, this, I, I, it's not my bench anymore. This is the players. This is the leadership and the way they conduct themselves during, uh, during times, uh, during the game. And that, he says, I just call the lines. This, this team belongs to the players. And he says, I'm just glad that I'm behind the bench and be able to watch these guys perform and have success. That says a lot. 
Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. We're talking to Randy Moeller, uh, covers the Florida Panthers for Bally Sports down in Florida. And, you know, I was going to ask you about Paul Maurice. I know you mentioned him a little bit earlier in the conversation and how he was brought in to get the Panthers playing this playoff-style hockey. How has he kind of put his stamp on this team as the new head coach for them? Well, it, 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 it's, been a, it's been a struggle. I mean, he, he came in and basically said, um, yeah, you can win the President's Trophy and you can score a gazillion goals and, and the most goals in a season since Mario Lemieux's uh, Pittsburgh Penguins in 92-93, but you're not going to win in the playoffs. And, I, you know, when, when he says that, it's kind of like, well, huh, you know, I mean, what do we, you know, we, we've had success here. But it's a different type of success. And, you know, he's what, the one thing about Paul Maurice is he has been so steady. The only time this season that I've seen him lose, maybe the wrong word is composure, is when he just went nuclear on the bench in, in that game in Toronto. And the Panthers turned around and came back and won that game. And in overtime and then that basically launched them you know they t- took off and went six one and one in the next eight games and got themselves a playoff position other than that even after after wins after losses i would get frustrated by sometimes you know paul why don't you you know be tougher on on the players and with your comments after after losses and he just no this is a process we're trying to get to a certain level of how we want to play and he was he was very adamant about his comments and that very consistent. And now you look back, Thomas, and you say, "Wow, this guy really knew what he was talking about and uh, and and where he wanted this team to be and peak at the right time." And so far, it is it has worked out wonderful. How many apologies is uh, Paul Maurice fielding at the moment, given how this season started? <laughs> Yeah, and you know the way fans are. And, and, and uh, you know, we live in a microwave world where we want it hot, we want it now, and we want the <laughs> success in- instantly and, and, and that. And, and, of course, with social media and all the different platforms and uh, the way fans and everybody can interact. Yeah, there was some pretty strong comments and a lot of second-guessing going on, and rightfully so. When you're eight, nine points out of a playoff spot, he won the President's Trophy the year ago on, on January 1st when the Panthers lost at home against the Rangers. I remember coming home and looking at my wife and going, oh, boy, oh, boy, what is going on here? And, and that, but, you know, you have to you have, to have some confidence and, and some belief in the leadership, and they never wavered. You know, the players never wavered. Uh, they weren't. There was no bickering and inter-fighting uh, in the locker room. Um, I thought the leadership, and then led by Paul Maurice. Don't. This is a process. We're going through it. We're going through some adversity, but we believe in this group. And then uh, what Bill Zito said after the um, uh, right after the trade deadline, when they didn't make any moves and the fans were up in arms. Well, why didn't we go get Patrick Kane? And uh, why didn't we do this and do that? They believe in this group, and um, I'm just happy to see them have this success because I can tell you, it has been a roller coaster ride. It has been up and down and sideways and upside down, and uh, it's been tough on everybody. And that, and then to see them have this success, and the most important thing for me, Thomas, you know, I've been here for almost 30 years, to see the the joy that these fans are having 
with the success with the team on the ice. That, to me, is the biggest gratification that I – it is just wonderful to see and over 20,000 people last night screaming and yelling and having fun, and then uh, the ultimate uh, winning in overtime was – that's that's what I really like to see, and I, I want to see this team have the success both on and off the ice, and they're certainly uh, heading in the right direction. Randy, they didn't show the reaction of the Florida management suite on on Canadian broadcast television, but they certainly did on TNT after Vancouver's Sam Reinhart uh, sends the Leafs down uh, the rabbit hole in a 3-0 deficit with the overtime winner last night. Uh, former Vancouver Canucks goaltender, of course, Roberto Luongo, chief among those celebrating. What's the dynamic been like uh, under Zito with Luongo and company? Um, how have things worked? How has this turnaround been accomplished in Zito's three years here? Well, to answer that honestly, Thomas, is I'm not in that inner circle. And nor do I want to be. And I have the respect. And the Panthers have a, a very full hockey operations department and, um, and, their, and their, their group, management group. I know they work well together, um, but I don't have really any insight. I know I talked to Roberto Luongo uh, during the, briefly during the Boston series, and he's just happy to see. I mean, look what happened, what has gone <laughs> on with the goaltending situation and Mm. you know with Spencer Knight um away from the team with the players assistance program um you got Alex Lyon who most people wouldn't know uh came up and was thrown not once but twice to try and save the Panther season which he did you had Bobrovsky with the illness and the injury and then the illness and then coming back and then coming back and he's healthy yet Alex line still has the net and you've got your $10 million goaltender. So it, it, it must've been a few, a few meetings where um, it was, uh, it was difficult. And uh, Roberto Luongo, part of the management and, and the uh, goaltending excellence program and that, and that's what, Hey, adversity sometimes builds uh, character in different ways. And I'm, I'm just happy to see the success, but that's a long winded answer. Um, Thomas, I, I'm very respectful uh, of, of uh, the management. I don't get involved. Um, I'm not there on a daily basis. I broadcast the games and, and that. So to, I, I can't really uh, comment on, you know, what the dynamics and the relationships is in the, uh, in the management group. Randy, you talk about the joy that the fans are having down there. I can tell you there's a lot of Canadians outside of Toronto and Ontario, at least, who are having a lot of fun watching the Panthers beat the Leaves right now. So thanks for coming on. I hope it continues down there. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Yep. And, you, you know, you never take anything for granted, but the Panthers have put themselves in a good position and the fans are enjoying it. And uh, um, I know it's, it's, it's tough, especially Eastern Canada, but this is what happens. And this is why it's the greatest – playoffs in sports NHL playoffs there's nothing like it and there's upsets all the time but I'm just enjoying the ride and then the fans are enjoying it thanks for having me on guys oh and by the way Drancer I had to come in because I was on the beach it's 85 degrees but you know what I had to come in to uh, restock my drink or whatever so I'm going back out (laughs) (laughs) enjoy it Randy we appreciate it thank you
Talk to you later, guys. <laughs> that is Thanks, Moeller. Randy Moeller, <laughs> Florida Panthers broadcaster uh, for Bally Sports. Also one of the, uh, the the owners of one of my favorite Twitter handles, at HeyRedDeer on Twitter, if you want to oh, give uh, Randy a follow. Well, and uh, and it, yeah, the enthusiasm. I love it. It's infectious. And, and if you ever get a chance to listen to Randy Moeller's game call, my goodness, inimitable. Honestly, an absolute legend. Love having him on the show. Um, I should probably tell him that I'm in California, though, eh? Uh, well, also, it's supposed to be like 30 degrees here later this week. It's sun all in the forecast. So, like, I get where he's going. and But, uh, yeah, it's going to be nice here as well. Um, I am glad that, we- that comment would have hit harder in November. Yes, it would have. Or even, like, two weeks ago, to be fair. But um, I am glad we had him on, though, because... Obviously, up here, you know, north of the border, there's so much focus on, like, the Leafs are choking again. What's going to happen with Dubas? The core four have disappeared. And that's all fair to a certain extent. But as he points out, like, Alex Barkov has a say in that. He's he's a guy who's making sure that Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews are having a harder time get going. So I'm glad we can give a little bit of love to not just how the Leafs are failing. Well, obviously, I enjoy that, too. But what the Le- what the Panthers are doing to uh, force that failure and have some success on their own. That was great stuff from Randy. Well, and that's what people always say about this show. We don't give enough love to Sasha Barkov. <laughs> Classic. Classic <laughs> criticism of this show. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if Barkov has a more vociferous uh, like um, booster outside of his family than me. And he, it's interesting, too, because he's like pretty below the radar right now. It's all Matthew Kachuk. And then it's like, well, Sam Bennett's good, you know, having these big uh, heavy playoffs. And Barkov's just kind of quietly doing his elite two-way center thing out there right now. Uh, Sam Bennett always gets talked about an abnormal amount in the playoffs, no matter how old he is. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. He just has that knack. Um, We'll take one final break again. It's lottery day here. So uh, live coverage on 650 at five o'clock with Sat and Riccio on Canucks Central. And then uh, I did see the notification from the Canucks that Patrick Alvin will be speaking at 530 after the results of the draft lottery. So either a very celebratory (laughs) press conference potentially from Patrick Alvin or one where what we expect to happen happens and they're picking 11th. Yeah, but an interesting one nonetheless. Like, there is value in certainty, right? From a Canucks perspective, 100%. moving forward from today, knowing you're 11 or 12, there is meaningful value in that for Patrick Alvin and his amateur scouting department. And I'm curious to hear him comment, set up the draft, uh, discuss the LaCaramacchi entry-level deal, and we can get into some of that yep. too on the other side of the break. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that. Some questions coming in about what happens if the Canucks pick 11th that I want to get into as well. Uh, Final segment of the show coming up, Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Final segment of the show on NHL Draft Lottery Day. We are live from the Kintec studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And uh, I was mentioning, you know, people texting in about 
certain possibilities if the Canucks don't win the lottery and they're picking at 11th or 12th. And immediately, uh, a number of these picks come in uh, from Renfrew Marco. How long until after pick 11 is confirmed? Is it traded? Another one, that pick is gone if they don't win the lottery. We had some earlier ones uh, in as well. And there's basically like two approaches people are taking, right? One, it's going to be traded for an impact player, immediate help. And two, it's going to be attached to a bad contract to get rid of the bad contract, right? And I know I've said this on the show before. I think I made it my 10 minutes of positivity once that they are not going to do that. The more I look at it, I really just don't think the logic of it is going to work out for the Canucks to move this pick. Like, let's say they wanted to do it for an impact player. We were talking about last week. They don't have the cap space to bring in an impact player. Like, you can't go and trade the first your first round pick for somebody making five million dollars because you can't fit that player onto your roster right now with a, without a ton of other work happening so I see that as a bit of a long shot as you said they kind of already made that move with Philip Ronick right they've already played that card I don't know if they even have the ability to go to that well again and then the thing with attaching it to move a bad deal I don't think the value lines up with any of their bad contracts like people have brought up OEL one first over one first round pick isn't close to enough plus he has a no move clause right so you're not doing that and then everyone else like Tyler Myers only has one year left you'll probably be able to trade him pretty straightforwardly at the deadline you can't give up pick 11 to move that contract like Besser and Garland have been productive enough and are young enough I think it would be wild to give up pick 11 or 12 uh, to get off either of those players I don't see the kind of logical scenario where it's going to make sense to move this pick now I can hear your rebuttal, which is why would you assume it has to be logical for the Canucks to do it? But I don't think it's even, like, close to making sense. I I very much anticipate if they're picking 11 or 12, they're going to be making that pick. Maybe they move down, something like that. But I don't think it's going to be traded in a cap dump. I don't think it's going to be traded for an instant impact player either. I don't know, man. I'm just living day to day. <laughs> I'm, I'm living in the moment, Jamie. I, like, all I said Sorry. is that I, Sorry, I'm I, glad we had two guests. I've flushed. I'm glad we had two guests to bookend how mad I am at you. For no, see, this is this is the <laughs> difference between you and me. Like, I acknowledge that the process was bad, but now it's happened. You 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 flush it and you move on. You don't forget about it, but you 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 move on. That's not how bad process works. You have to examine it and learn from it. And if there's no signs but, of learning from it, then what are you talking about? I'm but you and I have examined it. I have durable concerns. You and I have examined it. <laughs> and you're over it. You're over it. You're li- you're living day to day. No, I'm capable of. You're living I'm for the moment. I'm capable of experiencing this draft lottery without the baggage of the bad process. Now, if like one, if if the team like two or one or two spots ahead of them and the lottery wins, ask me tomorrow how I feel about it. It might but be that's- different. The point. That's the point. Even if a team, even if the team third wins the draft lottery, the Canucks are still going to be picking like four picks later because of the process. Anyway, the damage is done. Even if they're long odds played, that's the point. Anyway, I'm, I'll get over it in time. I'm just not there yet. Um, look, at the end of the day, the Canucks are going to look at like, there's no distinction between trading a pick to add cap space and trading a pick to add an impact player. It's one in the same. 
either way, you need to move cap before you can add a player. Right? You can't really add an impact player without moving cap. You can't. You can do yep. you can do a Tanner Janot trade. You can add, you know, a guy at a one million dollar clip who you think's like a third liner because the marginal value of that makes sense i mean it doesn't but uh, you know there are teams for whom it might uh but that's not what this team's going to do so you know for me it's one and the same if you're moving an asset to clear cap space you're doing it so you can add pieces and this team needs to do that work before they can i think at the end of the day when this team is looking at their options this offseason the first round pick is going to be a tempting one uh particularly if they stand by uh, their reluctance to use the buyout mechanism. Uh, I, I also think that they're probably wise to how important it is to not drop that pick given where they're positioned and how crucial it is to land like star level contributors, you know, outside the top 10, if you're going to have a successful Dallas, Minnesota, um, Boston quality rebuild, like you need your Pasternak, you need your Kaprizov, you need your Roberts and Ottinger if that's going to work and the only way to find those guys is you know making some high value picks despite what the club has already sent out the door so i think ultimately they're going to find other options more tempting i, I wouldn't say it's likely that they trade the first round pick but i can see it happening just given this club's options uh nate from comox just called me jamie benning dodd in the inbox <laughs> yeah but here's the thing look hey. i'm not I'm not denying when that the there shoe would be, fits, wear it. I'm not denying that there would be an impulse to trade the pick to like immediately improve your fortunes for next year. Of course there is. That's how this organization operates. I understand that. My only point is like if 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 pick eleven was enough to move the OEL deal, then yes, I would say they're going to try to do that. But it's not. So you don't have to worry about that. And it would be way too much to attach to move the Tyler Myers deal. I, I just don't see that sweet spot where there's like the one obvious contract where they look at it and say, we can use this pick, this lottery pick, to get out of this contract. That That's what I'm saying. But I'm not saying that all of a sudden they've found like, you know, they're, they're going to be very uh, prudent and not tempted to do things like this. I just don't think the opportunity is going to be there. We're going to be aggressive. J Jamie Benning Dodd, all I'm going to say is I'm capable of experiencing this Canucks offseason as if it were an isolated <laughs> event, completely unconnected to what's come before or thereafter. Um, truly, though, truly, though, the way that it makes sense is when you consider it as like a reverse OEL deal. So forget the OEL contract, but is it enough? It's not enough to attach to get off of Myers. Is it enough to attach to get off of Myers if you're also getting you're like get a really good player back. Yeah, you're get yeah. No, and you're right. It's just that those deals are also just inherently more complicated, right? Like when For you start sure. okay, well, it wouldn't be a just straight up, but if you add it in, then can something make sense? That's true. But again, that's why I'm fading it is because when you're start when when those are the only types of deals to make sense, they're just harder to find. They're harder to get done, right? Yeah, and I think the what what's the, like most likely sweetener ranking, right? Like I st I still think the most likely outcome for the Canucks would be to conclude that they can't move the contracts they'd prefer to move and to settle on moving a contract like a Beauvillier. Like mm. I would rank that as the most likely method of clearing cap space. I'd then get to like the Besser Myers Garland with, with a bad return tier. And then I'd get to 
uh, you know, using the first round pick or, or the Hoaglander asset as, as sweeteners, as sort of like on my hierarchy of expectations. But look, we're going to see. It's going to be challenging for them. Let's get away from cap space because today's the draft lottery. I want to ask you and I want to ask All our right. listeners, text into the 650, 650 Dunbar Lumber inbox. I know you want Bedard to go to a market with sizzle. Yeah. So a big market. Yeah. I'm, I don't care, but there's one team I don't want him to go to. I don't want to see him go to Arizona. So for me, the big two are Chicago and Arizona. Chicago, yeah, see, just my how, distaste for so the you're, franchise. you're all in on Montreal then? Montreal, Detroit, Philly. Detroit's not a big market. Detroit's an original six team. Are you kidding me? So, Detroit's what, an what original are you, an six NHL, team. What are you, an NHL marketing exec? Detroit's not a big market. Come on, man. With Connor Bedard, they would be. One of the most successful teams of the last 30 years, Detroit. original six, legacy of great players. No, but it's not New York, Chicago, L.A. So when you say big market, I'm talking like, well, I mean, like, you know, I don't, want, I don't want like Anaheim. I don't want Columbus. I don't want an irrelevant market that nobody cares about. Like Detroit has a, a, a fantastic history and hockey legacy. Yeah, great barn, too. I mean, look, look I'm not opposed to seeing Bedard in, in Red Wings Red, although it kind of upsets me. To think that that team, like four years removed from one of the great runs of my lifetime, then gets to land Connor Bedard. I, I, I'll be honest with you; I'd rather they have a more challenging route. Um, <laughs> Montreal. I mean, there's something romantic, right, about Montreal. I, I mean, I think a lot of fans would probably disagree with me, but I wouldn't hate it. I have never had the same distaste for the Habs and Habs fans as I have for the Leafs, right? For whatever reason, it just hits completely differently. Yeah, there, there absolutely is something romantic. Again, like when I'm talking about hockey legacy and hockey history, nowhere more so than Montreal. So those are probably the big ones for me, like Montreal, Detroit. And I would throw Philly in there too. It's just like a fan base no. that really, really cares. They do oh. though. There's a, there's Ugh. tremendous passion in Philly. Gross. Um, I, I don't care, though. Like, Philly, fine. Anaheim, fine. Columbus, no problem. Chicago, I'll get over it. Anywhere but Arizona. I'm, I'm, I'm team anywhere but Arizona, and I'm curious to know. I'm, I'm sure Chicago is the popular pick. Like, I don't know if you read The Athletic, but there's a piece up on who least deserves Connor Bedard. Yeah. And, uh, and Chicago was, like, 50% of athletic <laughs> contributors. No one wanted to see him go to the Blackhawks. But, like, as much as that franchise is the worst – um, I kind of admire their rebuilding season. They made no bones about what they were doing, and they went about it with a level of discipline um, that you know far outstripped what anyone else um, sort of did in terms of their approach and their aggressiveness in in sinking to the bottom. Didn't quite get there. Uh, I guess the Ducks really let it lie when things oh, began yeah. to spin. <laughs> did they ever? And they were willing. They were probably willing to eat more in terms of long-term development costs than the Blackhawks, right? Because the Blackhawks, like, is there a single player on the Blackhawks roster that's no. going to be part of their next good team? They don't have anyone they care about. The Ducks have players they no care way. about on the team, right? And they were like, yeah. ah, "But sorry, guys, you're just gonna have to, you're just gonna have to stomach this one. <laughs> we're not doing anything about this." I think the thing is, I just want him to go somewhere where people care. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have anything against the Anaheim Ducks, but does anybody care? Is that it, it, like? What he's gonna be 
Is he going to be a top 15 most famous athlete in Southern California when he goes there? Like, there's so many stars already playing there. There's so much happening. The Ducks are such an afterthought. I feel like he's going to get lost in the shuffle a little bit. I just want to go somewhere where people are really, really hyped and really excited and recognize what they have on their hands in Connor The Bedard. Ducks would be super fun, though. Like, from my perspective as a Game Center live junkie, the Ducks, they're on late. We all know how much that matters to me. I can <laughs> yes, I can go for yes. four brunches and still catch the late game. And, um, yeah, I mean, Anaheim, I think, would be a fun landing spot for him, although it would torture Canucks fans. Right? Well, that's like, the Playing other thing. in the same division yeah. as Bedard and McDavid. I would prefer would to see him, if it's not Vancouver, I'd prefer an Eastern Conference uh, destination, yeah. uh, if at all possible. Um, Marcus and Gibson's uh, texts in that uh, he either wants Vancouver or Columbus – so he can go play with childhood friend Kent Johnson. Uh, Rager says Bedard can go to Arizona as long as Matthews also goes to Arizona uh, and they torture Leafs fans for the next 15 years. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just I can't stomach anything good happening to that Arizona franchise. It's such a joke. It's such like an embarrassment for the NHL. Seeing Connor Bedard play in that college arena, like barely a step up, if at all, from where he's playing in Regina. It would just be such a bummer. It is, it is an easy, the last one that I want uh, right now. The the What I'm taking from this, um, although somebody says that's a horrible take, Jamie, Canucks, Ducks, or San Jose. So there's somebody who wants Connor Bedard in the Pacific Division. San Jose, huh? Well, San, I was just going to say, like, almost nobody has texted in one way or another about San Jose. Well, You know what I mean? San like, Jose's... nobody wants him to go there. Nobody doesn't want him to go there. It's just like, meh, I don't know. San Jose is such a long-term project that, like, they won't even be good on his ELC. No. You know, like, that that, one's, that one makes me sad. Whereas, like, the Ducks could get Bedard and make, like, a 25-point improvement or, or more next season. Like, that could be fun. Um, San Jose is so far away from doing anything that um, I feel like they're kind of an afterthought. But... It's a cool market, and it's a cool jersey. And seeing, like, an elite sniper wearing the Sharks jersey, that's cool. That's always fun. Um, Keith, the water guy, says, uh, if the Canucks were win to win the draft lottery tonight, they will overthink the pick and go with the Swede, Leo Carlson. You can never have enough Swedes here in Vancouver. That's from Keith, the water guy. No, no. So, I do enjoy this genre of text, though. We had somebody else text in, like, I don't even want them to win the lottery. I want them to get Adam Fantilli because if they get Bedard, it'll all go horribly wrong. <laughs> somehow, I do enjoy the, you know, even if we win, it'll go bad somehow mentality. It's always entertaining. So there's no debate at the top of the draft order. Stop it. No. Fantilli, Will Smith, Leo Carlson is a real discussion. And I really think Leo Carlson has that like Dylan Cooley surprise number three or number two heat to him. Like Logan. Cooley. There are, there are a few teams. Sorry. What did I call him? Dylan. <laughs> that Dylan Gunther, Dil Logan yeah. Cooley. Yeah. Um, there's teams that will view Leo Carlson as a guy who can play center. And those teams are going to be dropping Kopitar comps and the like, right? Mm -hmm. Like those teams are going to be like six foot three, super skilled center, productive against men this past season. If you drop him into the NCAA, does he outperform Fantilli, right? Does he have better hockey sense and a higher skill level, right? Because that's the thing about Fantilli. He's like 
the athlete, right? He's the best skater in this draft who's also a six foot two center. Um, but like rugged, um, you know, North American game. Like those are sort of the adjectives that people are going to use for Fantilli. And there is absolutely teams that value like hockey sense and skill level higher and think that Carlson maybe has more of a development path ahead of him than, than Fantilli. Um, that's one that I think is going to be really interesting. Like the number one pick, the lottery for the, the number one drawing, that's the Bedard pick. The number two pick, depending on who wins it, that could be interesting. That could be really interesting, in fact. And this whole draft class is going to be really interesting because there's about six or seven guys who would all be number one overall last year, right? Like all of them. And they're all forwards. And, you know, there's an increasing sense that Vancouver's pretty dialed on, on ideally wanting a defenseman. And yet at 11 or 12, there's really only one guy. And, and it's David Reinbacher. And outside of that, you know, most people don't think there's another defender really worth taking in the top 15 with perhaps the exception of Dmitry Simashev, mm-hmm. who's the six foot four, uh, 205 pound Russian uh, lefty. Um, you know, I think there's some regard for him, but because of like we're back into after after a multi-year break from like 2017 to 2021 we are back in like russian factor will have a shaping influence on this draft class right like there are going to be russian players who are available way later than they ever have been um this is actually an interesting thing to track given vancouver's investment in russian-born players over the course of the past 12 no months kidding. right yeah. and and the fact that they have a european general manager who's clearly pretty comfortable um doing deals with Dan Milstein. No, doing deals, generally speaking, with Russian-born players because they're not all Milstein clients. Pod Colson's not. Yeah. Uh, he's with Newport, right? But, I, I mean, there is a wonder that I have where are is Vancouver, relatively speaking, going to feel a little bit more comfortable gambling on um, or evaluating some of these Russian players than some of the other teams who, you know, might dock some of these guys further down their list because of uncertainty about um, when they might come over. But also, and this is a really crucial one, like limited live viewings, right? Russian players haven't been in international tournaments. Travel into Russia has been difficult. Like a lot of these Russian players in the MHL or the VHL or the KHL, like they've they've been scouted on video. And, And for a lot of teams, part of their process is not not just part of their process. Their process is designed around live viewing in particular. Um, so it really going to be an interesting draft from that perspective, and I'm really curious. Like One of the things that I'm going to be most interested in, not just day one, but day two of the draft, is how often does Vancouver stick their line in that particular fishing hole? Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one to watch. And, you know, I will say about if they are keyed in on potentially taking a defenseman. I mean, first of all, it looks like there's going to be at least some interesting centers still on the board at 11 or 12. You never know, but based on how things might shake out, there might well, be some who's names. an interesting center to you? Dvorsky. Like Jaeger? No. no uh, Dvorsky's Dvorsky, gone. Oliver Moore, potentially. No. Uh, Oliver Moore probably will still be around. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think, like, I think to but me, he has skill. the upside. Hmm? No, low skill. No? Oliver Moore, All no. speed. I don't think so. Um, All speed. Anyways, but 
I think there's still there. I think there's going to be centers worth taking at 11. I don't have an issue if you're keyed in on a defenseman if you can find a way to trade down. Like that, that to me is the ultimate scenario where you're trading down, right? Like, and if especially when you've already moved your second round pick this year, you don't have a second round pick next year currently either. Like, this team still needs to add draft picks. I would have no problem moving down from 11 or 12 to you know 17 18 20 something like well, that but it depends who's on the board yep. like if a leonard or a benson is still on the board then you shouldn't be trading down um but i feel you i, I th- i'm not going to criticize a trade down too harshly it's just it's a really tough year to have fallen this far down the draft order because you know you, you talk Dvorsky is a good example and he really helped himself out at the u18 yes he did um he's no longer lasting to where the canucks are picking um, Benson, probably not. Reinbacher's probably like they're probably out of that Reinbacher, Benson, Mitch Cobb, Dvorsky range. And that's really where the cost of this team's madcap dash toward the end of the season um, comes due. But don't worry about it. Just like enjoy the draft lottery for what it is. Context free. The past it's, isn't the past and the future is not the future. It's Live in good the advice for something you have no control over. It's good advice. Everyone should it's, listen to me. It's good advice for being on the beach with a white claw, my friend. But <laughs> I mean, that sounds great, but anyways. Uh, it, it does, but that's not what we do here. <laughs> Jason Vukla, by the way, former scout, now working for Sportsnet, will join us that. to talk about his draft rankings tomorrow post-lottery. Enjoy it. You'll hear it right here on Sportsnet 650.